Hi, everyone. It's David Baker. Welcome back to the CISO podcast, Baker's Dozen. Today, I have James Robinson of Netscope. He's a deputy chief information security officer over there. Um, Netscope was one of those companies that are near and dear to my heart when I was uh, CSO at, at Okta. Um, Netscope obviously was a, was a really good uh, integrated partner with us. Um, the, the idea of, of working with Netscope and, and evangelizing what they were doing was important back then. Um, and actually, uh, it still is today. James, uh, why don't you go ahead and give us a little history about yourself and um, we can sort of go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, kind of whenever you look at your calendar and you get to end the, the week with something like this, it's always nice. So thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm East Coast time. So for me, this is, uh, this is kind of wrapping it up for the week and, and always good. Better than, better than some kind of hair on fire type of situation, which which does happen, right? So, so you have um, a show, in your hand, right? <laughs> I, I actually, I debated on it. Um, <laughs> we want to pause for a second. I can go get one and then come back. And uh, I definitely would, would uh, uh, it'd be uh, very conversational at that point, right? Very relaxing, conversational, but uh, not, not a problem at all. Um, so myself, uh, James Robinson, been in the industry 20 some odd years. Uh, kind of started off at, at State Farm networking and then moved into pen testing. Uh, from there, moved over to Anheuser-Busch, was there uh, and uh, was there through when they, they actually got the acquisition and purchase. And, um, that was about 18 months or so, two years, and then moved over to Emerson Electric, uh, where it kind of, you know, it takes you a little while to get going in your career. And that's, uh, that's kind of where I, I really kind of took flight, I guess I would say, uh, really focusing not only just on on the things that we were doing internally and securing Emerson, but kind of got this itch and this idea to, to build security into the products that we were making and making that a differentiator kind of opened up my eyes to the whole business side of security, which was uh, pretty interesting, pretty exciting. And then uh, went over to WebSense after that and was over there for, for a few years uh, through their acquisitions and then moved over to Optiv where I was at Optiv for five years and had a couple different roles in, in innovation and strategy and, and, uh, also being a general manager of one of the practice groups and then uh, came over here to, to Netscope uh, kind of in a hybrid role, both internal security and then also, uh, you know, doing the evangelism piece, but then um, supporting some, uh, some customers as well, uh, mo mostly from a strategy or opinion side or if they need to escalate, uh, which kind of makes it fun because you also get to uh, get feedback on the strategy and where the, where the organization is headed and kind of uh, mold and, also try to try things internally and share those things with, with some others as well. So uh, kind of a fun role. But thanks yeah. for me. You know, no, I, I, I find that um, being a, a CISO at a, a security company does allow you to understand how other CISOs are integrating your product, how they're doing it. So you get to see a lot of different, uh, different scenarios. And so obviously that's one of the reasons why it's great to have you here is, is really this podcast is just to see how, you know, Netscape or Netscope. Um, <clears throat> we'll start that again. Um, really, the reason having this podcast is just to see how folks like yourself at Netscope are rolling security, right? And um, want to make sure that uh, we capture all those those cool tidbits that you're doing and and whatnot. Um, the uh, one of the things I, I like to start with is you know pretty high level. Um, I don't want to talk about bug bounties. We understand that that 
you know, yeah, crowdsource computing this and we, you know, there's a shortage of people to do security all over the world. So um, what I wanted to sort of dig in with you is, is how are you addressing staffing shortages? I mean, like I have them, you have them, everyone has the staffing shortages. Um, lots of people want to work for Netscope, but you know, ultimately probably not enough security folks to go around. Uh, so how do you, how are you uh, sort of tackling that at a high level? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing. And uh, when we do roundtables or even talking to peers, right, it's the same type of thing. How are you finding those, those candidates? And, and I think it, there's a couple different ways. One, you know, we, we always know people that we've worked with before that we'd always work with again. And you're always watching them, um, waiting for them to, to kind of hit a plateau or to hit an area where you can, you know, not necessarily steal them, but give them an opportunity and work with them again. Um, so no shortage of that going on in the industry. And I don't think we need to dive into that too much. Um, I think the biggest one that, that really excites me is around, uh, you know, getting the younger generation into an opportunity where they can actually enter into cyber. Uh, I, I was actually talking to uh, a group actually yesterday uh, as part of the Cloud Security Alliance uh, over in the Ohio area. And, and we were talking about, you know, there's so many of us that are now doing things inside of cyber and trying to get students involved and trying to hit an earlier generation and build that pipeline. Um, but as we also do that, one of the things that, that I think we're missing and forgetting is for, for them to enter into cyber is different than what we did. Um, you know, most of us who have been here for 10, 15 plus years have, have entered into it kind of through a, a gravitational pull that kind of got us into the industry. Mm-hmm. Where now there, there still is a gravitational pull, but I think there's also the, the just a career track and a profession, right? It's being recognized higher up. You would see um, more folks kind of, uh, you know, maybe nudging their, their uh, children into comp sci and computer sciences and data sciences. And then with that computer security, um, which is, is really kind of taking those pieces and applying them in a very specific discipline. Um, it's kind of the way I look at it. So I also have to remember that. And it was something that was interesting as we went through it yesterday. Um, the, as I like to always say, um, as part of a group that I'm, that I'm part of, uh, you know, us middle-aged white guys uh, like to get up on stage and, and like to talk about how, how to get into the industry. Um, but, but the truth really comes in. I think there's a lot that goes on that we don't get to recognize. We don't get to see things like students that are helping others uh, with, with bullying and trying to make sure that other students don't get bullied. Well, if that's a passion or something that you have, I think it's our opportunity to, to identify you and get you into governance, risk, and compliance areas if that's something of interest for you. Um, hmm. You know, kind of that softer side of security. Uh, you know, if, if you're um, one who likes math, obviously going into STEM is definitely an area and arena. Um, if, it, if you're one who likes robots, um, and robotics and those types of things, all those systems now are becoming interconnected and can, and can also be hacked. And so um, we also realize that to get into security, you have to have an underlying discipline as well. Um, many of us got here through networking or AppSec or some other area or application development moving into AppSec. <clears throat> and I think we could do a better job probably of identifying talent that way um, and, and getting that gravitational pull that way. And, and also at that point, it starts to starts to open the door, I think, for more diversity. Um, you know, I like to say a lot of times it's, I remember taking college courses uh, when I was younger and as I've gotten older and I've gone back to school, 
you know, I think you learn a lot more. And one of the things in HR, they talked about diversity in an HR course I was taking. They said diversity comes of diversity of thought and how you build a team. Um, and you have to have people with different ideas if you really want to be different and innovative. Right. So you can really drive into that. Honestly, you can, you can think about that and say, I'm going to pull people from different areas and maybe have underlying skill sets that are strong that then I can mold. If I can get to those students early enough and they have that, that interest, um, not a passion, but just an interest, um, and they're looking for an opportunity, then, then basically I think you've met that mark. Uh, there was two students here in Indianapolis that uh, later in the year I started to be able to mentor and through uh, the Security Advisor Alliance, which is a group that I'm, I'm part of. Uh, I was able to get, uh, get an opportunity to interview them. One of them had gone into uh, the National Guard, uh, Army National Guard, and uh, kind of took an IT career there, uh, even though he had the passion for security, uh, which is kind of unfortunate because I think if I would have been able to connect with him probably uh, three or four months earlier, I probably could have got him into, into security. Mm -hmm. And then the other one, uh, he had an opportunity at a local security firm uh, who just got acquired actually by Sophos Rook Security. Um, and, and through that acquisition process, he, he lost his opportunity there. Um, and that kind of was frustrating and I'm helping him now to find opportunities as well. But I think that that's part of it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a top priority for all the local businesses. So if you don't have a major security company in your, in your organization or, or inside of your um, city or town, uh, all of us have the need. And we can, we can kind of get together and uh, use pools and funds. And most of our companies want to invest in the STEM, um, use that as an opportunity to sponsor schools. Um, also try to get back to Project Lead the Way and doing work there to, to also um, help to develop content, cyber content that actually gets embedded into a lot of their, um, their courseware as well. Um, and so th those are all, all ways to kind of build that pipeline. Kind of a long-winded answer, but that's a, that's kind a of, great kind answer. Of fun. I, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've had um, folks in, in the podcast talk about championship programs across companies, um, talk about not having like a dress code. Like there's one guy who, uh, um, you know, just had to basically say, yeah, there's no dress code here is your typical big organization. So you can, um, you can, you know, that attracted people there. Um, so, you know, but that not having the fear of, of finding, you know, uh, someone fresh out of college and, and being able to, and having the program to train them, um, that's great. And I, like, yeah. can you talk about your program? How fast can you get these students productive and, and, you know, without giving away your secret sauce, like what is the program entail? How do you get them started? Um, you know, maybe I am a, an engineering student, but. I do know some uh, basic programming skills. Like, you know, how would you get me started in, in training me up as a, as a fresh out? Yeah, so we, we actually, I started in October. So uh, obviously this is kind of our first, first year of internships. That's, that's one of the leading ways. Um, I was lucky enough that one of the other folks that's, that's a peer of mine, um, Damian Chung, uh, has built relationships within the university systems down in Arizona. Um, and then we also have an office in, in St. Louis and through that office in St. Louis, we were able to get, um, get some students there. So oh, great. Um, we actually have four students that we're interning this, this summer. Um, one of the big things that, that I always wanted, that I always love to do with our internship programs is make them a two part type of system. One of the, one of the parts is I want you to go and explore 
things on your own <clears throat> and think differently, right? It's that think differently component. Um, and, and this is something I actually picked up at, at State Farm Insurance. So we talked about dress code and all that. They had all those things there. But at State Farm, you know, they, they would bring in interns. And uh, one of my early is actually in the Bay Area. He lives in the Bay Area now, Ken Newton. Um, I watched him do this with interns where he would just let them go. He'd let them be free and, and let them let them have free, free mind and thought and let them do a project that maybe they, they through the year, um, had been thinking of, or maybe through some of their education, they're kind of gravitating towards, uh, you know, what kind of track I, I kind of always joke around and say, everyone who's coming out of school always wants to be a pen tester. Um, but what does that actually mean? So like some of the things that we were doing with our interns this, this year, we just announced, uh, um, an acquisition that we made early in the year and, and the integration that we'd gone through. Um, so I had those interns before we actually went to that announcement, start to go and, and do uh, passive and active analysis uh, for recon. Uh, so I, I started stepping them through and breaking down the steps of pen testing. Uh, next week, we, we move into kind of the, the vulnerability analysis in those areas. And then we'll move into um, pen testing. And then through the warrior program, champion and warrior program that we have internally, I'll also take those, those interns and start linking them up with folks who can, who can get very deep in the discipline um, and be able to spend time with them. So we have that as well. And we, we almost do this, this cross-linking. So if you think about it, we have kind of a two-part system inside of our internship program. The first one is think of a project or something that you want to do. Um, and we have projects for them if they, if they, you know, for whatever reason, don't have any that come to mind. But during the interview process, I'll actually ask them, what, what, what project would you want to do this summer? If I could pay you all summer just to go do a security project, what would that be? Um, and, and really, you know, foster that and make ourselves available and open to them to be able to do, uh, you know, do that project. Um, that takes, you know, a percentage of their time. Uh, so whenever they find that they have downtime, they can go work on that. Um, at the, and at the end, they'll, they get the opportunity to present it back. And we also have checks throughout and sponsors um, that support them in the project. Then we have the other part. And they had the, the second part of that is, um, you know, work that we want you to do for us. Uh, and so um, through that, it could be, uh, you know, helping us with incident response. Uh, lately, we've been doing a lot with um, expanding our, our playbook and a lot of the disciplines there. Um, as we start to move into uh, SOAR platforms and, and looking, uh, you know, looking very deeply into that space, um, we know that we have to do some of those fundamentals and what better way than, than leveraging interns to do that, especially if you know, half of the time they're working on something fun that they like and half the time they're doing stuff for us, they get a lot of value out of it. All right. That's, that's awesome. You definitely put a lot of thought into the program. I think there's, I'll send you my resume. I'd get it value out of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's something awesome. Honestly, I wish awesome. we could share a lot more of, um, you know, this isn't, I think culture, you know, that's one of the reasons I joined Netscope was, was the culture here. Um, culture drives a lot. You can do, you can do just about anything if you have the right culture and mindset. And so supporting that and being able to do things like this are, are pretty awesome, you know, pretty amazing. Um, one of the things I'm trying to focus on a lot, uh, you know, when I get time is, um, how do I create, uh, inside of the organizations around us, um, around the Indianapolis area. And, and even I have a lot of connections in St. Louis from when I was there, how do we create uh, kind of externships for the educators that are educating in cyber, both in high school and in college? Um, you know, the, the, a lot of the, a lot of the top-notch professors and those types of things have a lot of research that they do and have a lot of consulting that they do. But when you start getting into kind of the middle ground uh, professors and, and the high school educators that are teaching uh, information security and cybersecurity and, 
and that they, they don't have the experience necessary uh, to, to do it. And so how do we get them that experience? Because I think that's just as important as us going and spending time in the schools and relating, re, you know, relaying our experiences, um, getting the students out into uh, things like the Converge Tour that we do uh, with the Alliance. And then also, um, you know, getting students interconnected to businesses that would give them opportunities and internships themselves. Um, you know, that that's definitely kind of the, the way that, that I look at things. Um, and I think the biggest thing, biggest area that we're failing is really we're, we're relying on our educators to teach uh, students some discipline that's out of a book, but maybe they don't know the discipline themselves. Um, and so how do we, how do we take that next step? How do we, how do I open the doors of Netscope for educators, let's just say in the Santa Clara or in the St. Louis area to be able to come in and be an intern along with students for the summer? That would be kind of cool. And they would also get paid for it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and, and I think they would get a ton of value out of it. Uh, you know, and let's be honest, you know, during the summer, sometimes they, they're either, you know, looking for things to do, continuing education credits or doing something like that anyways. And so this can help them out in there too. It's a great idea. It's a great idea. All right. Um, next question. And this actually is, it's interesting because, um, one of the things I've had to do with some of my you know, sort of um, um, younger employees or inexperienced employees is, is and this is obviously something that as you, as you train people and you and get them up to speed, it's like, how do you measure yourself, right? Um, how do you, um, what are the important things, particularly about security that we're going to measure? And all the things I ask uh, the CISOs in this podcast is like, how do you, how do you measure yourself when you are presenting to um, the executive team into your board team. Like what, what are those, those important metrics that, that you, um, you're looking for to sort of measure yourself and your team? Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple that come to mind. Um, and, and I think it, the, the first thing is understand where you're at in your cycle. Um, obviously presenting to the leadership team at Netscope is different than presenting to the leadership team at Emerson which is different than Anheuser-Busch, which is different than, than State Farm uh, when I was there uh, back in the day. And, and I think the biggest thing is understand where you're at. Uh, one of the things I, I have done and I've shared with others is know your, if you're going to the board or to the audit committee, um, know your audience and try to do your homework on your audience. Just like you would do if you're, if you're speaking at, you know, to a new group, you, you would wanna know a little bit about your audience. Uh, you know, am I speaking at a, you know, a deep technical conference or am I speaking at a, at a conference that's more risk oriented? Uh, you, you should know kind of and, and build your presentation or at least your messaging around that. Um, so you need to do that same thing. And I think that's one of the things that we don't do well enough. Um, I think there's, there's also, as I've seen over the years, there's, there's been, uh, you know, CISOs who kind of do the, the show up and throw up um, where they have, you know, dozens of slides and, and mm -hmm. metrics. Um, I, I heard the other day and, and it kind of summed it up really good um, when I was actually in Santa Clara at an event. Um, but, but it really comes down to what are those business metrics um, and know what other business units are being measured on and how you can fit into that. So if you want to make a point about incident response, this, is, this was a really good one that, that comes to mind recently that I've used in the past that, that I heard actually last week. It was if you don't talk about how many incidents you've had necessarily talk about the cost that the incidents had to the business. Um, and that could be loss in, in revenue. It could be loss in 
um, productivity. It could be loss in opportunity, business opportunity, meaning um, if you if you had intellectual property that was lost, or if you had, um, let's say, you know, even for me and you, Dave, right? Like if we have a an organization that we're looking to bring on board and be one of our clients, and they have something that they found or or an incident inside of our platform or product, you know, our response is actually a net retention um, for the business. And I think security in many ways, uh, it hasn't been seen as a lean forward or as a business opportunity as much as it is an overhead to the business. So if, right. if you really want to lean forward, I would say move away from the technical stats and statistics. Um, unless you're trying to communicate to your senior leadership team examples, very prime and, and examples of, you know, here's things that happen that we want to talk about. Very specific incidents. Here's what we want to talk about and here's why. Um, that's fine. That's education. Um, I think that, 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 that would be okay as long as it's framed up as kind of an education piece. Uh, and then you move into the next piece, which is, uh, you know, here's what the cost is to the business for doing this. Here's the business opportunity that we gained or lost because of this. Here's the customer retention. Um, I've actually been part of organizations where their where their sales were were able to articulate because of the security of our platform and the transparency of the security that we put into it. That helped us to get new customers, and that's very powerful. Um, another very powerful message to have. So you know that the investment's not just overhead, but is it's actually you know above the line. It's it's revenue. Um, it's, it's actually going for the thing that the, co that the company really likes to talk about at the end of the day. Um, you, most companies and most households don't like to sit around talking about risk uh, like, like we end up doing. Um, but we end up talking about risk and threats way too much um, and we have to get out of that, that chatter, that talk. Yeah. One of the things that I, I always tell folks who are like this first time CSO is like if your metrics are not including um, metrics from your other executives, then you're doing yep. something wrong. Like it's, it's a, if you're going to talk about here's the number of vulnerabilities that were reported, you better be talking about how many are being fixed and how fast are being fixed. Cause that's going to directly relate to what your CTO or your VP of engineering is like, these are all of the things that I'm doing from a throughput, from a development standpoint. So, yeah. Um, and I even say move away from moving away from talking about vulnerabilities and moving to talking about defects. At the end of the day, it's a security defect. Talk about a security defect. Right. Um, they understand what a performance defect is or UI defect. Most people will understand that. Um, it's the, it's the, you know, security talk that we have to kind of abandon in a way. Um, that's, that's our interdisciplinary talk. Uh, get away from that. That's good. How do you, um, if someone were to um, ask, and this is a, always a question I'd get from the board, like how do you compare to, um, how does your security program compare to the security programs of your peer companies? How, how would you approach that? It was like, yeah, peer, peer meaning like competitive industry? Not even competitive. It's like, um, I mean, you can talk about it as other security companies, um, within the bay area because obviously yep. where nescope is found of it like like how do how if because that's that's going to obviously be an important for your CISO um to be able to sit there and, and answer to the executive team or even the boards like how do you how does the our security compare against um the industry and compare against mm -hmm. uh neighboring um you know tech companies right All right yeah yeah I, th I think that's one of the ones that's probably the most difficult to answer um, we always like to get back to kind of a, an industry to industry comparison or to a peer, you know, like someone else that's in high tech. 
And, and while I think that we probably have a pretty good feeling from, you know, just conversations that we have as leaders, uh, where we're at, there's, there's not a very transparent way of being able to compare uh, from a, from a checkbox to checkbox perspective. Um, I, I've tried to encourage in the past, uh, you know, again, going back and saying, well, where's my, if, if I'm talking to the board, who's, who's, whose boards do my board members sit on? Um, so I can compare notes with maybe some of the peers that way. Um, and I've had some success in that arena uh, where it's, uh, well, I know, for instance, so-and-so, you, you sit on that board and here's, here's some of the comparisons and notes um, mm-hmm. that we have from each other. Uh, you know, and, and here's some of the things that, you know, I know where they're headed and here's where I'm headed and we're both in alignment. Um, it does a couple of different things. One, you know, taking that approach says, okay, the person at this other company, obviously, uh, you know, maybe I have the right person there and the person at this company, I had the right person. And the fact that they're, they're networking and communicating independent of me, um, also shows some strength in the, in the community. But to be honestly, I, th- I think it's one of the areas that's, that's probably the toughest. Um, I have some advisors and some folks that, that I go to and I, I bounce different components of my program uh, off of. Um, but I don't have them basically sharing the details of their program back for me to present to my leadership team. So if there are any, uh, any good tidbits or, or anything like that out there to, to pull from, um, definitely let me know. I don't, I don't have a, uh, you know, the silver bullet answer or even the, uh, the lead nosed, uh, bullet answer for that one. It's, it's all kind of, uh, you know, try to just share, share conversations, um, yeah, try to share conversations of, of clients too. Yeah. I, I, it's a, it's a difficult one that I always get asked in, um, I think that the, the worst thing you can do is, is sit there and say, well, we've never had a breach and these other companies that are tech companies have had breaches, right? Because, um, and I've, and I've had people try to like use that as a, as sort of the metric. And that's like the worst metric is because in, in, in the last, in the end of the day is like the CISO who's been on a, uh, has been on a squad that has gone through a breach that CISO probably has the ton of experience that actually makes them a lot more valuable because, um, going through the process, being the transparent process and in surviving on the back end of it. That's, that's one of those things that probably makes your security team that much more better at the end of the day in, in some cases. Um, so that's, that's definitely something I wouldn't necessarily use, but it's, it is a definite, um, it's a tricky one to, to address. I think the, um, one of the things that I, I always like to do is rather than say, I don't know how I compare, but I know what I aspire to. That's obviously an yeah. approach that you can take as well. It becomes very tricky. I think the sometimes the board uh, just wants to like trip you up and and yeah. like expose you. I don't know. It's it, but it's a I've it, I've heard it being asked. I've had it asked for me before. I've had other CISOs that are that are, you know, get needled by that as well. So always interesting to get uh, a different opinion and takes on. I that. think that's that's a kind of one that you and I have a better opportunity in than maybe some of our peers. Um, you know, being, being security organizations and being security with, within the security organizations, uh, you, you know, we get to have a lot of conversations like this, uh, right. you know, and, and compare some notes. Um, as we compare those notes, uh, you know, we can also be uh, transparent, especially as uh, customers and, and providers. Um, we can be pretty trans- transparent and share those stories also. 
Um, so for us, I think it's probably a little bit easier. That's that's tend where I go to gravitate and, and kind of move towards as well. I know the CISO at this organization, which I help advise also, here's where their plan is and where they're going. Right. Um, this this group over here, um, when they were actually doing their assessment on us, here's actually the skill set that they had inside of their, um, you know, their assessment of us that I thought was, you know, honestly, they're a massive organization, but it was pretty legit compared to some of their other um, organizations, which I would have expected to have maybe that same skill set, and they either didn't use it against us or we didn't see it. Um, and so that's, a, again, kind of changing that narrative to aspire to. Um, yeah. You know that that definitely changes that narrative into this is what I aspire to and where I would um, where I'd like to be uh, definitely at. Yeah, it's your 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 I think your spot on there is is one of the things that drew me to joining Bug Crowd from from Okta was getting back to the ability as a security vendor to be able to work and integrate with a bunch of other companies who you know needed your tool for their security right and yeah you get to have those conversations you get to understand how what they're doing how they're integrating and, and um at the end of the day you can you know like you 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 were integrating with a bunch of your customers you have a lot more authority on like yeah this is this is what i aspire to this is what i know what people are doing out there and you know i know how we can do better on those things so that's a, that's a very good point yeah well, hopefully we can, we, maybe we can share some notes, uh, ourselves. We'll, uh, we'll definitely get to, uh, definitely get to do that too. Um, you know, some of the areas that, that excite me, um, you know, and where I'd really like to grow in the next year, uh, you know, definitely, definitely kind of go into the, the automation side, which is, which is kind of interesting, like the AppSec automation side. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's one of the areas I really am trying to grow into and trying to get support of. Um, and, and it kind of, it kind of goes off of the whole DevOps movement, but I have this, this notion I started to implement when I was over at, at Optiv, um, and, and ran an engineering team over there, but it was that CI, CD, CS notion. Right. Um, you know, and, and through that, but what I'm finding is there's, there's major gaps when you start digging into, um, into the kind of underneath, um, you know, there's been a couple of, and, and the gaps come in because, uh, like the SOAR providers, um, they're, they're very focused on their approach. There's like two different disciplines of SOAR providers as I've seen it. There's the SOAR providers that are really focused on uh, event and incident management. And those are you know, very well known. Um, you know, we've seen the acquisitions in that space, but there's another group that's inside the AppSec space, uh, which is kind of my, my main focus inside of, uh, inside of Netscope is, is on the AppSec discipline um, and supporting the engineering teams and, you know, PS and, uh, product management and doing PCERT functions and all of that. Um, and those, those platforms, um, while they're, while they're out there, there's just not as many of them. And it surprises me that they haven't converged. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that or not kind of changing a little bit, but you know, kind of, kind of going down that path of even sharing some notes, like <laughs> where do we aspire to be and how do we get there? Yeah. I mean, that, that's actually going to be my last question is um, obviously I'm, I'm sure you guys have a DevOps team. You're probably, I know you guys are in a bunch of different uh, public cloud infrastructures. Um, how do you, how do you have your security team integrate with the DevOps team? Like that was one of the, the most challenging things I saw at Okta was, was you have your DevOps team. They're, they're purposely, very closed off. Um, mm -hmm. They only have access to production environment. You lock down 
all of the developers out of production environment and you have a small group of, of people that are sort of walled off and um, they have access to production. Um, but then again, you want to implement a tool uh, like an IAST or, or something like that that you can integrate to get a lot of good security telemetry, particularly how things are getting deployed. Um, and yet it becomes, it becomes very, very difficult um, for you to uh, be able to get traction with the DevOps team. How do, how do you find and how do you um, sort of get your security team integrated with your DevOps there? Yeah. The, the biggest wins, and, and I actually learned this one back when I was at, at Emerson, and I, I still use it. It's kind of like pulling a page out of the, out of the old book. But um, I, I focus very, very heavily on, one, providing the tooling into the, into the development team and the engineers Right. Um, finding that warrior, that champion that can actually, uh, you know, support and, and communicate and evangelize inside of their group. And I can be my go-to for any incidents and issues that I have, and even to, to push messages out. Um, so it's more of a peer, a peer-based conversation and kind of a lead-based conversation. Right. Um, and then I, I go heavy on the pipeline. Uh, the, the build team is the team that I focus very heavily on. Mm -hmm. um, in some DevOps groups, they, they, they actually have independent build and, and pipeline teams. We're lucky enough that, that um, we have a pretty centralized function for that. There's, there's a couple that are separate, but for the most part, we have a pretty centralized function for that. And so um, going heavy and saying this is my assurance point um, for me to do uh, you know, those, those CS functions, which, uh, for me include static analysis, dynamic IS, um, you know, vulnerability analysis, uh, at those different deployment phases, um, has really, has really got me a lot of traction and a lot of longevity, um, that, and then you make that next shift into kind of the, the QA side of the house. Um, I, when I first came on board and, and started to, you know, gather, gather the team, I started to see that we were maintaining a lot of our own um, automation and scripting just to be able to, to run our own dynamic analysis tools. Um, and, and it kind of boggled my mind a little bit because that we were spending so much time into that, but that was the work that was actually being created by others. Um, that, that really we needed to solve the hard problem and that we were solving that problem, which was being solved by other groups as well. Right. Which is you know, like running Selenium scripts and building automation for uh, being able to do tests and that type of thing. So I backed us off of that and I, I tried to move us over into that arena or that area where we could say, well, let me take and invest deeper into um, the, how do I use multiple tools um, inside of my, let's just say dynamic analysis, or even if I'm bringing in IaaS, how do I use multiple tools, um, but I use the scripts that are being generated by QA functions and those other functions like that, because that's what they're really good at. And mm -hmm. what they're invested in is that, um, because they need to look for the positive and the negative cases, not necessarily security. I just need to bring the security into that. If I can do that at a way where, where it's actually repeatable, that it's something that I can give over to the QA function to be able to use themselves. Um, and so that, that's really kind of the, the, where I'm at to, to be, uh, you know, frankly, a, a bit transparent, right. Is, is taking that next step. Um, so now we have uh, kind of our automation um, CS dynamic analysis uh, toolkits that we actually uh, have in place. Now it's taking them back in and making sure during the deployment phase of, you know, into QA, the QA will actually um, point their scripting engines and those types of things through the tooling and then be able to get the output and understand that output. And that's kind of that next, that next big hurdle. 
Um, I, I'm a big believer of, you know, don't, don't do everything separate just because it's the easiest path. Um, sometimes the easiest path is actually to get it integrated in and built in. Um, those teams are easier to scale than my security team. Um, in many cases, uh, you know, it's, it's how many, you know, there's, a, there's very clear ratios of how many security people uh, or very clear ratios, how many developers to QA folks that you need um, based off the quality output that you're looking for. And those have been around for, you know, 20 some odd years in engineering, software engineering discipline. Those, those same ratios don't necessarily exist inside of security. Um, and so it's much easier for them to scale up their resources on their side and make uh, security kind of that, that part of quality. Um, and then leverage my team of uh, misfits and ninjas <laughs> to, to really go after the hard, the really hard problems and look for the new attacks that need to be applied uh, to our environment and, and really have our steady pulse on the new threat and threat vectors. Huh. That's, that's how we approach it. That's a great, that, that's actually, that's some very sage advice and I think very sound uh, methodology. Um, I, think, uh, I think that's the time we have for today. James, thank you so much for um, your input here. Thank you. Your ideas are awesome. I, I, I really want to catch up and, and get an intern program here like you have, yeah. or I want to become part of your intern program. Really. <laughs> we'll just, we could share all our, all our notes and all of our templates, and that, that kind of goes to the audience as well. It's, it's, I don't look at that. You know, again, like I said, it's the culture. It's, it's not necessarily uh, the, the working tidbits. Uh, those working tidbits are open. You know, happy to happy to share any of those items. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I, I so much appreciate your time. Uh, and this is, this has been phenomenal. I appreciate it, sir. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks again for having me and um, let's find some time to catch up. We will. All right, folks, this is uh, the wrap for uh, today's CISO podcast. We'll catch you on the next one.